the more that I've understood about how my ADHD works, the better I feel equipped to deal with it. So there's no like one strategy that just works perfectly and, you know, is going to be what I use for the rest of my life. Because one of the things I know about my ADHD is once the novelty wears off, the strategy doesn't work as well for me. Um, but the cool thing is once I understand how the system works, I understand how to fix it. So I feel like it's kind of like knowing computers. Like when, as long as my computer is working fine, I don't have any problems. But if I have a problem with my computer, I have no idea what to do. And it shuts me down and I can't work. And I have to like hand it to somebody else and be like, fix it. But if at some point I learned how my computer worked, then it wouldn't slow me down so much. I would know how to work with it. ADHD Rewired episode 291. This is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDrewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mention on today's show. You can support us on Patreon, sign up for our email newsletter, you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups, and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups. You can do all of this at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb is out now. This is our brand new podcast here on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. They're short, practical, and kind of funny. Go check it out. Subscribe to Hacking Your ADHD. And if you're catching this early enough on Tuesday, the day it came out, Will Curb is going to be hanging out with me and Brendan Mahan for our monthly live Q&A at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events to register. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. This is our monthly live Q&A, and this month it is a special live Q&A because it's not just me and it's not just Brendan. We also have Jessica McKay from How To ADHD. Hey, Jessica, how are you doing? I'm good. This is on your podcast? This is on the podcast. This is on Facebook. This is everywhere. We have, uh, as my last check, we had over 200 people register for this uh, Q&A. And, uh, you know, Brandon and I typically draw in somewhere between 25 to 45 registrants. Um, So, uh, Brandon, we're doing something right. Jessica, maybe you have... okay ordinarily. And (laughs) then when Jessica shows up, we're amazing. Yay! So, I'm so excited to be answering questions with you. So, I can I answer the question? Yeah. So let's let's first have um, <laughs> Jessica's so excited. excited. All right. So uh, Emily has the first question. So Emily, will you uh, will you ask your question? Okay. So, do you think people with ADHD are more sensitive to rejection? All right, Jessica, go for it. Okay. So yeah, this is something that keeps coming up. It's probably my most requested topic is like rejection sensitivity, rejection sensitivity. And I think it's because we've all been there, you know, where we're like at work and crying inappropriately in front of our boss because of like a small thing, like a small correction or whatever. Um, And yeah, um, I'm doing it. I'm working on an episode. I'm still in the middle of the research for it, but um, sensitivity to rejection is something that resonates with a lot of people with ADHD. We tend to experience emotional dysregulation in general. So we're also tend to be quicker to frustration, quicker to, you know, boredom, quicker to like giving up on things. Um, we, we tend to have a lot of trouble with emotional regulation in general. Um, but there is, a uh, if you've seen on Attitudes um, site, Dr. William Dodson has coined a term called rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is really validating for a lot of people when they read about it. Um, it's not actually an official term. It's not in the DSM, but it is something that a lot of people resonate with. It's just this idea that we tend to have um, a greater sensitivity to rejection, both in like perceived rejection, like being afraid to be rejected, and then the actual emotional reaction we have once we are rejected. So um, this is an area where I think a lot more research needs to be done. But yes, our sensitivity to rejection is definitely a real phenomenon. Do you experience that, Jessica? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I got fired over it once. Like I was I was in a like I got I got pulled into a manager's office for something. I was trying to be helpful. Like I was I was waiting tables and I ran this person's credit card and it was not my table. I was just trying to be helpful. It was the end of the night and I lost the card because, of course, I did. I lost the person's credit card and the manager like 
brought me into the office and did this whole thing and had a write up and everything. And I remember getting really upset about this because I was like, it wasn't intentional. It was an accident. You know, I understand being written up for something, but it's not like this is something that I did intentionally and would do again. It's I made a mistake and I tried to calm myself down because I could feel myself like I was about to just completely burst into tears. And then I started to, and I was like, you know what? It's okay. It's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like it's like, I was trying to calm myself down, but like out loud, which you shouldn't do apparently. Um, and then like the next week, <laughs> like four minutes late to work and they're like, you're fired. And I'm like, mm. no, that's not why I was fired. I was fired because my manager was like, we can't handle her. <laughs> so yes, I, I very much resonate with this. And, you know, the one thing that, that strikes me about uh, the, the rejection sensitive dysphoria sort of, uh, identification um, is that I wonder how much of this is actually comorbid ADHD with borderline personality disorder because with borderline personality disorder, um, the, like one of the hallmarks of it is, is uh, being triggered by rejection or, or perceived rejection. Um, so I think it's, it's something that I think the research still needs to sort of um, uh, untangle to see, is yeah. there an actual distinct, um, uh, presentation for RSD, uh, and is there an overlap and can it be, uh, a standalone from borderline personality disorder? That's interesting. Cause I always come at it from a totally different angle. Yeah. What's your angle? My angle is that it's trauma, that it's a trauma response to, I have ADHD, so I mess up more. It's the wall of awful. That's part I, of it. Yeah, That's part I, of it. it's a combination of the emotional dysregulation combined with we are used to getting corrections more often than our peers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those corrections feel like rejection. And sometimes they are rejection and sometimes they lead to rejection. And so when we get corrected, we're like, oh, my God. And I would say that's possibly not even a different perspective. The, the, the literature on, on borderline personality disorder, um, there's some stuff that I've said that I've seen that says it takes more than a generation to create a borderline. So it's probably a cycle of trauma within a family that, that right. may sort of create that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go to another question. All right. Wait, before we started, my, my thought was like, all right, we can't dive in too deep to any particular question so we can answer as many questions as possible. Um, but I really like this next question from Stephanie. So let me uh, pull Stephanie up so she can ask her question live here. Hopefully her audio is, uh, is good. Hi, Stephanie. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you. So uh, would you ask your question? Yeah. Um, so I was wondering, um, how would you respond? I get a lot of comments because I get very excited about the research, like watching uh, Jessica and stuff um, and feel so affirmed by it that I kind of just <laughs> explain everything with ADHD. So I'm like, I do something and I'm like, ah, oh, that's so ADHD or like, right. Um, so how would you, how do you, or how would you respond to something like, oh, everything isn't about ADHD or you always talk about ADHD, like blah, 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 like relax. It's a great question. Jessica, do you want to start this one? Yeah, I do. So somebody actually asked that. Um, <laughs> somebody asked me that on the channel. They're like, so just everything is ADHD. And here's, here's how I explain it. Because ADHD isn't like one program in the brain that works differently. It's the entire operating system. It affects so many aspects of our lives that it's going to explain a lot. And when you first find out that it, that it does explain so much, you get excited about it. And you're like, oh, oh, this colors my perspective on like, this is why I have so much difficulty in social situations because I had this neurodevelopmental delay in my brain. I was a few years behind my peers. And so I always felt awkward and left out. And reading some of this research, like I, I would sit there reading really dense research with tears just streaming down my face because I'm like, these researchers understand my brain in a way that I never did. And so, yeah, I mean, it does affect every aspect of our lives. It does explain a lot and it's not everything, right? The fact that I decided that I like knitting rather than crocheting has nothing to do with my ADHD, but the fact that I need to fidget with something so that I can sit through a movie and not just fall asleep or get distracted, that does have to do with my ADHD. So it's not that everything is your ADHD, but it does affect a lot. Right. I feel very similar in, in that regard. Um, I think it probably the who I heard that most from, um, probably my siblings. <laughs> so not everything is ADHD. It's like, well, you know, everything kind of is. If you, you know, <laughs> what, you, 
So it's like, sure, maybe like I, my, my, uh, lack of hair on the top of my head isn't related to ADHD. Um, but you know, behaviorally, the stuff that I do and don't do, the way I communicate, the, just the way I show up in the world, like that's, you know, I have ADHD. So that's all going to be affected, um, because of my ADHD. Right. And particularly if you're just starting to learn about it now, it's like anything, you know, you learn about something new and it's a big deal and you're talking about it all the time because that's part of the learning process and because you're excited about it. And then I don't want to say that everything is ADHD, but, but also you have ADHD. And so when you learn something new, you are more excited about it and you are more engaged with it and you're going to talk about it more than someone who doesn't have ADHD because secretly everything is ADHD when you have it. Um, so that's, that's in there too. And then the other sort of listening into the next layer of this question that may or may not be there for you specifically, Stephanie, but probably is hiding there for other people is a lot of the time when you're hearing everything is an ADHD, it's not all about ADHD. The subtext of that is stop using ADHD as an excuse for all your screwing. Yeah. yeah. And the way I've been addressing that recently is drawing a clear distinction between a, an excuse and a reason. And I draw that line at the problem right? So in ex- both an excuse and a reason, explain away why you got to the problem. So the behaviors that got us to the problem, that stuff's not a big deal. We don't have to feel bad about that because we have ADHD. But if we use it as an excuse, then we also don't have to worry about the problem or cleaning up the mess that the problem has caused. And that's not a plan. We want to use ADHD as a reason, which means we get to the problem and we are still responsible for that. And we are still re- responsible for cleaning up the mess. Yeah. A great way that I've heard it explained is it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Yes. Yes. Right. I had a very, uh, that, that very discussion this morning with my son who now for the fourth time in the last about two and a half weeks decided to get up in the middle of the night to watch TV. (laughs) Oh yeah. We're dealing with that. Okay. Let's go to another question. And I love that question. Let's go to, um, uh, Leody, I think is how you say the name, although I am very good at mispronouncing names. So, uh, he or she will let me know if I got that correct. Let me just pull them up here. While you do that, as this one's not live, it's just a quick question. Is age 12 too late to start ADHD medications? That's the age that I started it. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. I started in my thirties. So yeah. age 12 is not too late. Great. All right. Am I pronouncing it correctly? You were very close. It's Leotai. Leotai. All right. So what is your question? And I'm going to put you back on mute because I'm hearing some background sounds. Okay. Uh, Just in searching for a job and not having a routine going, how do you stay out of depression while that's going on? Okay. Um, Let's quick follow question. Are you currently... um, uh, experience depression and is it situational or cl- or more of a clinical depression? Clinical. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you for the question. I'm, I'm going to mute you up. I'm going to keep you on just in case you have follow up questions. Um, well, first of all, I mean, depression is sort of like this, this 800 pound elephant that we wear around us just makes everything we're trying to do so much harder. So it's, it sucks. I've, I've experienced depression on and off in my life and it's just like everything feels so much harder. And that's not even including the ADHD aspect of it. I think of probably of the top five, like just things that are most or least enjoyable in life. Looking for a job is in those top five. All right. Circles back to the the earlier question about rejection sensitive dysphoria, or it's like, statistically speaking, you're going to get rejected a lot more than you get accepted. So doing all of that while looking for a job while feeling uh, depressed with ADHD, I think the the answer could be the same whether you're looking for a job or not. I think it's beginning with self-care, looking at um, medication management, um, sleep hygiene, what you're eating, having a support system. Um, and just part of it is acceptance that some of this stuff's going to be harder. Right. Um, and so if you feel, you know, when we look at the literature around coexisting ADHD and, uh, and depression, if ADHD and or anxiety is, uh, moderate to severe, treat the depression first. Right. If it's mild to moderate, start with treating the ADHD first. That's what the, the, the clinical, um, that the empirical data, uh, supports. Um, Brendan, what are your thoughts on this one? 
one of the things she mentioned was the lack of a schedule because you're looking for a job. You don't necessarily have a schedule because a job often is where we get our schedules, but just because you don't have one doesn't mean you can't make one. And I, I work with a lot of people who are in the midst of job searches. That's a piece of what I do when I'm not doing kids and families. And I can't recommend enough creating a schedule for yourself that involves doing as much of the job search outside of your home as possible. And that can mean go to the library and search for jobs and write cover letters and send resumes out. That can mean knock on some doors. That can mean find your local employment agency. Typically the run, there's some run through the state that you can find, go there, make connections there, talk to people there, use that resource because that's a support network. It's a place to go to do your job search that is literally designed to help you. Um, and it can often fast track, if not just your job search skills, also finding of a job because they have networks and they'll help you do it. So um, those are off the top of my head, my top pieces of advice. And I also know that ADA has a, a uh, committee for workplace um support um, that also may be able to provide some support with that's uh, ADA is the adult ADHD organization. I think it's ADD.org or ADDA. One of this, one of the links goes to like a manufacturing one. So it's uh, just type in adult ADHD association and you'll find it. Jessica, what are your, what are your thoughts on this one? I feel terribly unqualified to answer this, but um, <laughs> you sort of have that look on your face. You're like, Oh no, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I don't know depression as well as I know ADHD. I do know earlier in the year I was dealing with some pretty heavy grief from going through my second divorce. And, um, and there were times when it felt like it was slipping into depression. Um, this is, you know, toward the beginning of the depression. And it was also at a time where all of my routines were gone. I was in a different state. I work for myself so there wasn't the same level of accountability that I usually have with an employer. Um, and I could, I, I could feel myself just deciding that nothing mattered. My effort didn't matter. I was dealing with some anhedonia, some, like, I just wasn't enjoying things the way that I normally would. And for, for me personally, what I did was recognize that, um, that I was going there and knowing that, like just reminding myself of the reasons why I couldn't let myself sink deeper because I feel like with depression, once it gets to a certain point, it's really hard to dig your way out. It's like quicksand. And so for me personally, where I was at at the time, I would start feeling incredibly depressed and say, I'll do what I can. Let me focus on what I can do, put my efforts where I can put them. I can't change my ex. I can't change the fact that I'm going through a divorce. I can't change a lot of the things, but what I, what can I do? And sometimes that was just order groceries online. Um, but I would try and take some sort of action and focus on what I could do. Um, whatever terrible state I was in at the time, whatever minimal amount I could do, I would do it. And slowly, slowly I would feel a little bit better or at least not get worse. Um, and one of the things I did to get myself back on track with routines was I started using an app called Brilli. Um, it's designed for parents to use their kids, but I, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with parenting yourself. And so I set up a routine for myself in Brilli. And there were times where I was like, you know, all I have to do is just follow the thing. I have to follow the app. The app is telling me I have to brush my teeth right now. I'll go brush my teeth. It's telling me to wash my face. I'll wash my face. And having that support of like something external to me telling me what to do next was really helpful. Mm, I think that's, that's sound, uh, sound advice. Um, oh, it's called Brilli, B-R-I-L-I. They have like a month free, I think, if you want to try it. Um, I've found it really helpful. Awesome. Now, thank you, Jessica. That's, uh, you know, like we, we all have these, these different struggles and I think the, the having support and community, uh, to like, don't try to struggle alone, right? Like that's, if you want to know how to make struggling harder, do it alone. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so like with, with depression too, with depression, you sort of feel like not only do you not feel like doing the things that you would normally want to do, you just, you feel like you don't even deserve to do the things that you would normally want to do. Right. And that's, that's the depression talking. Right. So I, I think that, um, get the people around you that they care about you and ask them to sort of push you, even if you're being a little bit resistant. Cause I know for me, when I'm, when I'm in a state of depression, I don't, you know, I'm not feeling like doing anything that I really want to do. Um, it's often that transition, which is also hard with ADHD, but once I'm doing the thing, I'm glad I did it. Right. Okay. Yeah, and that's, and that's important to pay attention to 
right? Like after you do the thing, now how do you feel? Yeah. Cause you've yes. got to own that part of it. If you're going to get through the other side of it next time. Yeah. And definitely talk to, talk to your doctor too, about some, uh, potential medication uh, management. Um, maybe uh, dosages need to be adjusted. Um, but yeah, it, depression is a, tr- is a manageable, treatable uh, disorder, you know, and a lot of us struggle with it. All right, we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back up, we're going to answer a question that I was submitted ahead of time. The question was, what is your personal best strategy for ADHD? We will answer that right after the break. We will be right back. Next weekend, October 11th through the 14th, is the second annual On the Right ADHD Trail Summit. Get 13 expert interviews conducted by my colleague, Kathy Gett. These interviews focus on men's issues around ADHD delivered to your email inbox. If you like to say yes to everything and everything always seems urgent, you'll want to check out my interview. Plus, you can get free digital merch. All the guests are giving away a free gift. Go to ontherightadhdtrail.com to sign up. That's ontherightadhdtrail.com. If you're new to ADHD Rewired, welcome. We are more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. One part of our community is our coaching community. Our coaching communities include our online coaching and accountability groups and our alumni membership community, where members of our coaching groups can go for weekly coaching sessions and ongoing support. Because we know that even after our coaching program as intense as ours, which meets three times a week for 10 weeks, we know the ADHD doesn't go away. So why should the support? If you've been thinking of getting a coach to help you with your ADHD, I want to invite you to check out our coaching groups. Go to coachingrewire.com. Make 2020 your best year yet by joining our 19th season of coaching and accountability groups. We've had well over 500 people just like you go through our groups. These groups aren't for everyone. They are intense and require a significant time commitment up to seven to eight hours a week for 10 weeks. Do you think you're up for the challenge? Invest in your growth. We've only got one life. Maybe it's time to start putting your good intentions of a better life into action. Take action today. To learn more, go to coachingrewired.com. Be sure to click the big purple button so you get invited to our registration events. Registration is by invitation only. Learn more at the website. That's coachingrewired.com. That's coachingrewired.com. This group is like the end of the Blind Melon music video where it's that little girl in the bee costume and she's going through all these different scenes and yeah, she's going through the city and then at the very end she finds a field full of people dancing in bee costumes and then she just runs and she just like joins the party. That's coachingrewired.com. All right, we are back from break. I said right before the break, uh, we got a question that was submitted ahead of time from Lori who asks, what is your personal best strategy for ADHD? I mean, yeah, my personal best strategy for ADHD is learn about it. Like learn everything that you can about it because the more that I've understood about how my ADHD works, the better I feel equipped to deal with it. So there's no like one strategy that just works perfectly and, you know, is going to be what I use for the rest of my life because one of the things I know about my ADHD is once the novelty wears off, the strategy doesn't work as well for me. Um, But the cool thing is once I understand how the system works, I understand how to fix it. So I feel like it's kind of like knowing computers. Like as long as my computer's working, Working fine. I don't have any problems. But if I have a problem with my computer, I have no idea what to do. And it shuts me down and I can't work. And I have to like hand it to somebody else and be like, fix it. But if at some point I learned how my computer works, then it wouldn't slow me down so much. I would know how to work with it. Um, and I feel like that's what's happened with my brain. Like I learned the technology. I learned how my brain functions. And so now when I run into an issue, I know exactly what the issue is. I know three strategies at least that can get me past it. And I also know that sometimes I'm going to go, you know what? This isn't the priority right now. Like my house is a mess, but you know what? I'm in the middle of writing a really important TEDx talk. Uh, I'm going to let my house be a mess, you know, and I can pick and choose, but it, I, it's empowering because I feel like in my control because I understand what's happening and 
I know how to fix it. And I know if it's worth fixing or if it's going to be so much effort that it doesn't make sense for me to focus on that right now. That's great. And I think within there is what I would say is probably my best strategy for, for uh, how I manage my ADHD and that's acceptance. Brendan, what about you? You two are killing me. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, I was going to go, I was like, learn about it. Nope. Permission. Uh, <laughs> pretty much acceptance. So not that one. Um, I, I, can I give the obnoxious answer? That is actually the truth, but is not really as useful as the other two. Sure. Um, the best thing I did for my ADHD was becoming a professional who worked with ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. Cause it forced me to learn about it. It forced me to, to give myself permission to have it. it because I couldn't give other people permission to have it without giving myself permission. <laughs> That's right. Um, and in a nutshell, to sort of shrink that down, because not everyone's going to become an ADHD professional. That's ridiculous. Because then there's way too much competition for the three of us. Um, and I think there is more help that is needed. That there's yes, totally there's plenty of space. But, but what really, what really you can do if you're not interested in fundamentally changing what you do for a living is become the person you needed when you were younger. Yeah. So, and I talk about that in my workshops that I became the person I needed when I was a kid. And so if you can become the person that you needed when you were 10, 15, 20 years old, then you're going to also be the person that you need right now. That's really powerful, Brendan. Thanks for sharing oh, that. Um, the other, the other uh, thing that I should want to add to that, um, cause it's so hard to, when questions like pick the top thing, the one thing I'm like, it's so hard prioritization and making decisions meds stimulant medication like i would not be here having a conversation with either of you and all of you who are listening if it weren't for stimulant medication i probably would not have uh made it through college i learned that i had adhd after almost failing out of college um so if you are new to adhd and you're like oh but i've heard all these scary things about medication right Scary things are fake news. I'll just tell you that. Um, learn the science because medication, stimulant medication is safe and effective when used as directed. Um, I know like I'll, I'll quote something that uh, my one of my friends and colleagues, uh, Ari Tuckman, has said, like, yeah, if you snort your, your Ritalin and your Adderall, you're going to have problems. That's abusing <laughs> medication. But if you take it as directed, like it's for most people, it's going to work well for you. Yeah. And to be fair, like we, you know, I've hear, heard a lot from my community. Some people it doesn't work well for some people have side effects that don't work for them. But for me, I, I actually went off the medication for a couple of years because I had a boyfriend tell me like, oh, you shouldn't take it because side effects and all that. And he scared me. And then I realized like after two years and my life falling apart, um, the side effects of the side effects of me having untreated ADHD are so much worse than the mild appetite suppression that I had on the medication. There are side effects of not treating ADHD too. And I feel like that's a very personal decision that everybody has to make for themselves, but you have to look at both. Cause if somebody, if somebody told me like, Hey, you know, here, like give your kid this pill that is going to make them more likely to get divorced in a car accident, like, you know, unable to accomplish anything that they set their mind to like all these things. I'd be like, who would give their child that medication? Like, that would be terrible. Right. But we, uh, you know, we, we think that it's somehow noble to not take medication or to not medicate your children when it's really, you know, again, there are side effects to not treating it too. And I think it's a case by case basis, but, um, but I know, yeah, for me too, personally, the medication made a huge difference for me. Um, and, uh, I'm only like, sort of rambling because I did take a, a pill today. I'm trying to ration right now. I'm like, <laughs> I, I missed my appointment and like I'm having health insurance issues. So I'm having to like ration my medication. I was like, is the life Q and a, is that, does that, is that like medication worthy? Do you guys ever have that? Where it's just like, I'm low that's, on medication. Like, that, that's our, that's our happy question. hour that we do in, in our alumni community. <laughs> because that's at like five 30, my meds have worn off and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and uh, also going circling back to medication real quick. If the first one doesn't work, that doesn't mean medication right. doesn't work. Right. Just the first huge. one didn't work. That's right. And yeah. even if the first dose of the medication doesn't work, that doesn't mean that medication doesn't work. Know going in that there's some trial and error. It's it's a little bit of a it can be a little bit of a journey and a process to get the right medication. Yeah. yeah. When I switched when I switched from um, Adderall to Vyvanse, I didn't like it as much, and I told my doctor like, "No, keep me on Adderall." And then he was like, "Well, that was a slightly lower dose. The the you know the milligrams are different for the different medications. So mm -hmm. even though it was like the same milligrams, it was actually a, a weaker dose. So let's try this." 
higher dose. And then when I tried the higher dose of Vyvanse, I was like, oh, this is me. This mm. is me without a 30 pound weight attached. This is what I'm supposed to be like yeah. over the course of a day. It felt so right. And it made such a difference, like the 10 milligrams difference or whatever. Um, and being on a slightly different medication. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it was last year or two years ago, I was uh, in a workshop at the chat conference with, um, uh, what's his name? Dr. Edward Hall. H I think a U L I'm probably misspelling his name. He's like an old cowboy doctor. Um, and he's got, he's got the cowboy hat and a big like mustache. He's he, like, he's, he's nice. been doing this stuff for a while. Um, and he was saying that there's like, that he finds that sometimes the, the, even the increments of dosages aren't are refined enough because he's been he'll, he'll do like um uh, medications where it's where maybe he can get it written as a liquid and you can have it or you can prescribe it in a way that you couldn't do it in pills and that that a really small tweak can make a really big difference cool which is you know it just means that we kind of need to to talk to our doctors and play with the medication until we find that right fit. I, I worked with people who spent over two years doing trial and error medications and like, that's, you know, that's hard, but it was something that they're really happy that they stuck with. Cause now it's, you know, it's a game changer. It really is. Um, I gotta, I gotta hit parents real quick on this one. Um, doing a two year trial as an adult, when it's your medication is totally smooth. Pay attention to your kid and get their feedback yes. if the or them is taking that long. Yes. Don't get single-minded on this Yes, because even if it helps them in the short term, you might find that they turn 18 and they're not taking it anymore. Right. There's actually really important research about that that, that shows that for teens, if you push it and right. they don't want to be on it, it increases the likelihood that they will not go back on it in adulthood. Right. Yeah. Which is, God, that's so hard. Like, all right, I can either watch my teen like completely blow up their life, but not push it or hope that they're going to come around. And, you know, it's so get a, be a part of a support group because that is not a decision that you should have to, to deal with alone. All right, let's go to our next question. Jessica picked one out. Um, it was two questions uh, around punctuality. So, uh, yeah, Gail's no tricks to helping me. It's really problematic. <laughs> Client meetings, committing meetings, friends. Yeah. Uh, punctuality is something that I struggle with too. Um, so a couple things. One is that somebody pointed out and I don't know why it's like, it's so obvious, but I just had never thought of it. Being on time is really hard. It's a very small target. Um, it's, it's easy to be early. They said all chipper, not exactly. Um, when you have ADHD, because we have such a low tolerance for boredom, um, that being early is really challenging because it means sitting and waiting and, you know, the minutes just drone on. So, um, one of the, one of the things I try to do is find some sort of reward for myself for being early. Like there's a book that I want to read, but I only get to read it in the time that I'm waiting for somebody else. And so I show up early or, um, uh, or I, like I recognize that there is a transition time between finishing your routine and actually being in the car and driving. And so I try to make sure that, you know, I'm done with my morning routine half an hour before I actually need to be going to work um, or going somewhere. Jessica, seven, and, seven minutes for me. I, I still don't know where that seven, what happens in those seven minutes <laughs> from the time I'm like, all right, it's time to get in the car and actually backing out of a driveway. Yeah. It's I seven know. minutes. I don't understand like where that seven <laughs> minutes goes. I just know it's seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's a combination of like incentives and strategies, but um, it's, it's still, it's still an ongoing battle because on some level it's incentivizing to be late because if I, you know, when I was waiting tables, the best job that I had was one where you could be up to five minutes late without anybody saying anything to you. And so I would be, I would try to be right on time. But if I wasn't, maybe I'd be three minutes late, but the, the, that beat the clock thing, you know, of like, Oh, let me check ways and see, you know, and go a separate route and do this. And like, my brain was so engaged by the time I got to work that I performed better. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause it stimulates your brain. Cause it stimulates your brain. Right. That, that, Oh my God, I'm going to be late turns your brain on. So there's an incentive there. And so it can actually be really difficult to incentivize your brain to be punctual. So what do you guys think? Um, so a couple of things. So this is something that, that in, in my coaching groups, uh, we talk about that. I, I remember the first time I heard that like this notion, if you're, right on time that means you're late i was like oh my god this person already hates me and they don't even know me like, <laughs> like, 
right? All those funny little pithy things. Right. Like, I'd like to kill you now. And what I realized, you know, into adulthood is that if you want your brain to be ready on time, your body has to actually show up about five minutes ahead of time. You know, otherwise, because if you think that your your meeting that starts at say three o'clock, that you run in the door at three o'clock, like what are you doing those first five minutes? You're getting yourself situated, the meeting's starting, and you're like not really tuning into what's happening because you're trying to just get yourself situated, and now you're like trying to figure out what you missed, and then you're stressed and lost during that whole meeting, right? So in my in my coaching groups, um, we have. So the meetings, so if we have a group that starts at 11, you have to be there at 1055 and we have our, our volunteer, uh, peer mentors, our admin who will call people as soon as at, at five minutes till if they are not in the, uh, in the session yet. Cause we also know, like I, cause I don't want to, uh, um, you know, we can prevent shame cause we can say, all right, I'm here early. Yay. Let me go grab a cup of coffee and then I'll be right back. And you go grab the cup of coffee and the next thing you know, you're organizing your spices. And then it's, <laughs> half, and then it's halfway through the, the meeting and you're like, Oh crap. I was just went to get coffee. I meant to actually come back to sit down and then you're in the shame hole. And then it's like, how do I, how do I, you know, so we have that support there. Um, so knowing how long those transitions take though is also really, really important. Um, you know, as people with ADHD, we have a lot of time blindness. And so the regular things that we do that are knowable, sort of the, the, the knowable time bombs, like I know how long it takes for me to get like from the moment I say, okay, we have to go to being in my car. I know how long that takes. I still don't know how it takes seven minutes, but I know how long it takes, right? I know how long it takes from the time I walk into my office to actually be set up and situated, right? Um, if you're, if you have to drive somewhere, don't go best case scenario just because that happened one time, right? Go worst case scenario. And if it happens to match worst case scenario, then great. If you beat worst case scenario, then you have a few extra minutes. That's such a good point. I, I have noticed that when I'm late, it's because I didn't factor in things going wrong. So yeah. like I perfectly timed getting to yoga on time today. And as I'm about to walk out the door, uh, there is there is dog diarrhea that I have to clean up before I leave. And now I can't make it because that's going to take like, you know, I don't know because uh, Brandon talks about this because it's like something that's not pleasant. I'm like, this is going to take five hours, you know, yeah. um, oh. whereas if it was like suddenly there's candy, I'd be like, oh, this will only take a second. <laughs> So yeah. someone put in the chat they mentioned they, about the time timer and just for people who are watching this uh, live, I just uh, set the time timer there behind me. It's a red visual timer that shows you the, the passage of time. Uh, so if you have to leave somewhere, the transitions are hard. There's, you know, especially if you're like me and struggle with one more thing, itis, right? It's like, let no, me uh, do this thing. Yeah, I, I'm going to go. Just one more thing. Just one yeah. more thing. Oh, and, yeah, I, I'm, I'll be there early. So I have time to do this and this and this and this right. and this. And getting getting to place on to places on time, right? A couple things that have helped me. One is I plan for being there early, and two different ways. One is I plan most. I try to get everywhere five five minutes early. I'm not always successful, but that's that's the plan, right? And the other thing is if it's somewhere important, if it's a workshop, right, or if it's a, if it's a, a really significant meeting with someone, I'm gonna if I can get there a half an hour early, I am getting there a half an hour early. And I'm planning on what I'm going to do with that half an hour when I'm there, especially if it's somewhere far away. Right. So I'll do things like look at local pizza joints and stuff. Like where am I going to hang out when I, for my half an hour that I'm there early, because if I leave my house to get someplace an hour away and I plan to get there a half an hour, half hour early, then I'm five minutes from where I'm supposed to be. And if something goes wrong, it's not that big of a deal. Right. But if I leave my house and something goes wrong, that could cost me a half an hour. So I really like that tip of like planning what you're going to do when you get there. Because if I yeah. know that there's nothing happening until the thing, then I'm, I'm probably going to cut it pretty close. But if I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to sit there and answer five emails first, then I don't know. There's right. something psychological about yeah. that where it's like, oh, I'm not going to be bored. I've got right. stuff to do. And if you're yeah, there like exactly. 10 minutes early. For what I'm going to do. How am I going to use that time? Right. If you're there 10 minutes early, you can... Um, check out probably the latest episode of how to ADHD. Mm-hmm. And if you're there like an hour early, you can catch up on, uh, on one of the ADHD rewired podcasts, which includes ADHD essentials. The only time I've ever been an hour early is when I thought it was at 
a different time. Totally, and, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've been a year early, so it's all right. Yeah. And it's called the time timer. Yeah, everybody's answering. Cool. You guys, everybody's so helpful in this community. I love it so much. For for people who haven't heard Brendan's story about actually being a year early, can you give the thirty second version of it? Because it's such a great story. And now we're going to go to Tony's question about prioritization. My kid loves Jurassic Park. Bought him tickets for a Jurassic Park stage show that was May single digit, like a February and May with a single digit. And I was like, awesome. It's this Friday. Holy cow. Bought the tickets because it was early May. Bought the tickets. We went to the BU like center thing that was going to have it in and nobody was there. And I was like, where is everybody? How come it's locked? Even the box office isn't open. What's happening? <laughs> open up the email. Look at the date. It's next year. In May. Wow. Not, not something over a year in advance. <laughs> Who sells tickets over a year in advance, right? Yeah. What the heck? But I was a year old. <laughs> I love that story. Hey, Tony. Hey. How are how you? How is everybody? I'm good. This is so exciting. All right. So what is your question? Well, um, I saw your video, Jessica, on The Matrix. <laughs> and, um, I've started using it using the Eisenhower matrix. So when I'm prioritizing my tasks, I have trouble identifying urgent, but not important because to me, everything is urgent and everything's important. Yeah. Yeah. It is years. We, we have trouble prioritizing. Um, and we just tend to prioritize differently. I think one of the cool things that, um, my research consultant, uh, Patrick LeCount, who's now Dr. Pa- Patrick LeCount, uh, he, he taught me um, when you're trying to figure out what's actually important and separate that from what just is urgent. He's like, at the end of the day, when you go to sleep, what are the three things that if you did those three things, you would feel satisfied with your day? And if I think about that, like usually the things that are urgent, but not that important, don't make, don't make the cut. If I have to narrow it down to three things. And I think for me, that's, that's what, I've found helpful is having to narrow it down because I have the same thing. I'm like, but it all has to get done. And I have to say, okay, but I can't get all of it done. Assuming that I'm not going to get some of the super important stuff done of the super important stuff that my brain is telling me is all important. Like what three things absolutely have to get done. Like what three things will I be happy with if I get those three done and nothing else on the list. Um, And I've noticed that if I try and increase that to like five or six or seven, like it's just, I won't get anything done because I get paralyzed. Everything feels so important. Um, And my brain constantly interrupts me doing one thing to be like, Oh, but this other thing, Um, just constantly. I put a tweet out yesterday and it resonated with people. I was like, my brain is like a terrible version of Clippy. Like, I see you're trying to do X. Like, can I help you do something else entirely? Um, And so, yeah, for me, narrowing it down helps. What are your three most important things today, Jessica? Um, This, because I said I would. Uh, I actually, speaking of being late, I have a a meeting to, I'm helping plan the, the uh, international ADHD conference. And so I have a meeting, um, in like 10 minutes for that. And then, um, uh, I haven't chosen the third one yet. Oh, I have a meeting at 11 PM. I know I'm on the East coast. (laughs) Oh, wow. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the coast, this coast. Brendan, what about you? The podcast episode I recorded earlier, which I mentioned this, and I have to bill, some people for some workshops that is a lot of money that I really need to build them because it's a lot of money. So those are my three. Support for ADHD Rewired comes from patrons like Jamie R who became a patron this week at the $25 a month level. Jamie, we hope to see you on the fourth Tuesday of the month at 3 p.m. Central time for our action coaching group on Zoom. What's Patreon? Patreon is a platform where listeners like you can support independent content creators like me or like Jessica McCabe from How to ADHD through voluntary monthly contributions. And when you become a patron, which is what we call people who give and provide support on Patreon, you'll get cool perks depending on the amount you give. At the $5 a month level, you get extra content like webinar replays and other content you won't hear on the podcast. At the $10 a month level, you can hear an audio recording of the live action coaching call we do once a month for patrons who give at the $25 a month level. But those are all the perks. I think the real reason to give is because you get value from this podcast and it's helped you feel less alone and that's giving you help 
and hope. A lot goes into creating these podcasts every week. So if you're someone who tends to do something because it's the right thing to do, and you're someone who has the financial means to give a few bucks each month to something that you get for free, but you really like it, then become a patron over at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. But if you can't afford it, if you can't afford to become a patron right now, please don't sweat it. You can support us in other ways. Tell others about the podcast. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those other things really help us too. But if you can, go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E. O-N. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. And thanks. So, so circling back to the, the question about how do we identify the things that are important, but not urgent, right? And I was going to go there. Urgent, yeah. but not important. Yeah. This is the, this is the line I've been drawing of late. Urgent is emotionally significant. Important is academically, intellectually significant. And that is how I'm splitting them up. So the stuff that is emotionally charged might not really matter that much. It might just be emotionally charged. And if I can sort of navigate that emotional charge and determine if it's actually important or not is helpful. Hmm. What do you mean by academically? Like into like prefrontal cortex important versus amygdala important. Like I call, <laughs> I call the F. Yeah. Like, like stuff that is, is, intellectually like rational logically rationally this is important i'm curious if any of this is helping tony or if we're if we're if we need more information to answer this effectively no it is actually i liked what you said jessica about identifying those three things that if if i got them done um at the end of the day would i feel good about my day good about myself that really helps clarify um that little box so um thank you it's hard telling my brain something is not important. It's it's hard. I have to I have to let myself go. It it is all important. Okay, yeah. now of those important things, what three am I actually going to do? Which ones um, matter? Yeah. yeah. I I have two sort of variations of the question from the book, the one thing. Uh, so which is a amazing. If you struck with prioritization, it's not an ADHD focused book, but it is, it has helped me so profoundly with understanding the importance of time blocking our priorities. And, uh, and we talk a lot about this in, in the coaching groups. Uh, so the focusing question from the one thing says, what's the one thing you can do such by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary. So the idea is to think about what can have a sort of that, that scalable domino effect. So a two inch domino can knock over one that's one and a half times bigger on that one, one and a half times bigger. And by like the 18th domino, you can knock over like the, I think like the empire state building by like the hundredth, the moon. Right. But there's another variation on this question. We've all had those days and those weeks where we have so much stuff to do. And yet we get none of it done. We've all had those weeks where, as Brendan would say, our ADHD just kicked our butt, right? The ADHD is just one all day long, right? And so if I, if we look at it from that perspective and say, if I only got one thing done today, if I could only get one thing done this week, what would it be? So think about how that resonates in, in your brain. And I feel like Brendan and Jessica, I just missed something as I was watching you guys like doing something. I'm like, what did I just miss? <laughs> I dropped my phone. <laughs> okay. I really want to, okay. I'm going to do this because I really want to, like, I really want to take a picture of this. If you guys are okay with this. Yes. I'm just so excited to be here. Okay. Hang on. I'm going to take a picture. But then I like dropped my phone while I was trying to do it. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. This just made my day. Taking selfies makes great audio for podcasts. Um, <laughs> all right, Tony. I hope that that was helpful. Let's um, let's see if we can have, have time for just another uh, couple quick questions here. Um, Brendan or Jessica, do you see any that look fun and interesting for you to to answer? Oh, here's one. It's a go live from Heidi. Okay. Heidi G, we are pulling you up. Hi. Hey, Heidi. Hi. What's your question? Um, <laughs> we feel you. We really I do. Scroll back and look. I don't. It's about. Um, I oh. can read it. I have it right here if you want. Perfect. 
Do people with ADHD often feel like failures as parents? I do. I find it hard to stay on top of everything. Um, I struggle keeping myself together. Thank you for this webinar. I am curious uh, how Brandon is going to answer this because I would like kids at some point. <laughs> um, let, let me put it this way. People who have ADHD and don't have kids feel like failures in their job, in their personal life, in wherever, right? Then you add kids to that mix of, I already don't feel like I'm on top of all the things I do. And now I have kids. So of course they feel like failures as parents. I mean, they happen to be wrong. They're not failures as parents, just like they're not failures in any other area of their life. It's just things are harder. And, and like we were just talking about what pick three things, right? Well, I pick my marriage, my kids and my job, I guess. So I'm going to gain weight, right? Cause I'm not picking my physical health maybe, or I'm not sleeping enough. Cause I didn't pick that. Like there's only so many things we can do. So as a parent, you're absolutely going to struggle and you're going to have to rearrange how you prioritize stuff. And the, the tricky component about being a parent is just when you feel like you have it figured out, the challenge changes. Like, Oh, I totally understand an infant. This is easy. Now I'm used to not sleeping. Oh my God. Why are they crawling? <laughs> And, and as soon as they have done crawling, now they're walking and then they go to school and then all of a sudden sex, drugs and rock and roll become a thing. And like, how do I handle all this stuff? And the, the answer is that you just kind of do and you'll be okay. And there are resources available to you to help you out. And, and I am one of them. And there are lots of people who are not me that are, can also provide you with support. Not the least of which is potentially your parents and your friends and teachers and stuff like that. So, um, everybody feels like a failure at all the time, especially if they have ADHD and everybody is wrong. You know, I, I think as, as a parent, um, being a parent with ADHD, um, having a child who is uh, not in the middle of the neurological bell curve, um, it's beyond hard. Like uh -huh. it's, I, I, on a regular basis, I'm, I question like myself as a dad. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that could probably most easily bring me to tears when I'm like evaluating, like, you know, I worked later than I meant to again, or, uh, how I lost my cool. Like when, you know, I, I often tell, uh, tell my wife, um, like after, stuff goes down i'm like if we just had a, like videos of that interaction that i just had with with our son this would be a great demonstration of how not to interact with your child um and i'm trained as a therapist so you know it's hard um i think one of the things that we could do best for our kids especially if they also have adhd is model taking ownership for our mistakes mm -hmm. right um and you know there's uh if you do a google search for uh brene brene brown's um parenting manifesto um I, I share this actually in my coaching groups and it it makes me i can't get through the whole thing without crying uh like one of the things it talks it says in there is like i promise i'm not going to show you anything perfectly and i want to be able to take away your pain but i'm not going to do that i'm going to sit there with you and and help you learn basically how to how to handle it um and I think being a parent when you have ADHD, which being a parent means you don't get a break. Like when your child needs you, your child needs you. Like this morning, like I was like, all right, big day today. We have this big webinar with like 200 people registered. I'm going to get a great workout today in. And then as my son's putting his shoes on, he throws up. So um, I did not get a workout today. Right. So it was, you know, um, yeah, it's I would just be really, really uh, curious this in the chat if people who are parents here, um, if they feel sometimes like a failure as a parent. Could we just put yes? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I have to jump off. I have to take my other meeting. Um, speaking of being late, but um, I don't have anything to add to the parenting conversation yet. Although you can expect if that ever happens, I will have many videos on my channel about like, <laughs> what have I done? I'm sure. Um, but it, this has been great. It's been really nice chatting with everybody. And um, I'll talk to you guys later. Jessica, thank you so, so much. Uh, bye. Bye. All right. Uh, that was awesome. Thank you, Jessica. Um, so, so Heidi was, was that, was that helpful for you? That was extremely helpful. 
Um, and you said that uh, Brene Brown's book is called Parenting Manifesto. No, so it's actually it's not a book. It's a PD. It's oh. a one page PDF. Um, okay. It's the, the Parenting uh, Manifesto. Okay. Awesome. Yes, that was very helpful. Thank you so much. You bet. Let's see. There was a question uh, Peter asked: Is uh, uh, ADHD? Um, I think he meant heritable. And yes, uh, uh, it is heritable. I uh, I thank my dad for for my ADHD. Thanks, Dad. What about you, Brendan? What do you uh, have? You identified a question? I'm going to go with how do you get a child 13 to embrace their ADHD and use their adaptations during school versus being embarrassed? Because when my child comes home, he unloads all his daily frustrations. Um, you've got to share the strategies and the the acceptance of the ADHD stuff when he's not unloading and being frustrated. You have to have those conversations when he's calmer and preferably away from school. Like that's a conversation to have on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, my boys and I went tubing down a river a couple weekends ago and we had some really, really important conversations because we couldn't really do much else. And, um, and it was a time when we were all pretty chill. Most of it was about the things I was doing wrong. Um, but, uh, but th- I try to have those harder conversations outside of the flare ups for that. And, um, in terms of getting them to embrace their ADHD and use accommodations and stuff, maybe set them up to sort of find Jessica's channel a little bit. Cause if they're finding this stuff on their own, then it's not coming through you. And so setting them up in a way like order attitude magazine and just leave it around the house, something like that, those kinds of things. Cause at 13, your son wants or daughter is looking to be more independent. Um, and you kind of have to play the independent role a little bit. I would do a Google search on motivational interviewing because I think it's a really, because uh, it's, you know, I mean, we all remember being a teenager. That if we, you know, the best way to get your kid to not do the thing that you want them to do is to tell them what you want them to do, especially when they have ADHD. And part of that is they're not even doing it on purpose. They're just, there's like their brain knows they're understimulated. And so arguing stimulates the brain. Mm-hmm. There's a saying that uh, arguing uh, with, a, with a kid with ADHD is a lot like mud wrestling a pig. You both get dirty, but only the pig enjoys it. <laughs> so the last question that I want to uh, address um, here is uh, from Sarah, who uh, asked two questions. I'm going to answer number two because it's shorter. Uh, so what is the best advice to adults on how to use mobile devices with ADHD? So this is, it's a really good question. Um, you know, these, these phones that we have, um, digital dopamine, digital drugs. I mean, however you want to call it, it is, uh, I wrestle with it. I know most people that I know, and I work with a lot of people with ADHD wrestle with screen time. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a tool. It's also a, a, a toy. It's, you know, it's, it's, it can be very helpful. It could also be very problematic. Um, one of the things that, um, uh, I asked my wife to do and she, she does is call me out when she sees me on it at home when I'm sort of like half paying attention to when we, when I should be fully engaged in family time. Um, and I sometimes I do it and I'm like, it's totally mindless. It's like, I didn't like, it wasn't even my intention. It's like the twitch of like going to see like, Ooh, I felt something vibrate. What is it? And then I'm like going to check something and then it's done the rabbit hole. Um, I think that you have to sort of be mindful of like what you're using it for. Accountability around screen time can be a really helpful uh, tool to leverage. I know on um, on iOS, you can set it up where uh, you can find out exactly how much time you've been on various apps. And if you have an accountability partner you're working with, um, you can take screenshots of that and share that with, uh, with other people. Um, if you're struggling with it at night, you know, maybe leave the phone outside of your bedroom or, uh, get what, what I, the, um, the kitchen safe timer, which is a, uh, it's like a big spaghetti jar, except the top, you can actually lock it for anywhere between one minute to 10 days. Right. So once you kind of put it in there, um, can't really get back access to it. Yeah. I, um, I try to think of my phone as a tool and not as entertainment and I'm not always successful in that, but, but when I am thinking of it as a tool, I use it less passively because I'm using it. Like what is the job of the thing that I'm Mm -hmm. opening right now? 
I'm opening the Facebook app. Why? What is the job? Is the job to connect with friends? Is the job to go into the ADHD Essentials community and talk to the people there? What's the job I'm trying to accomplish with this tool that I just hired it for? Um, so that's one thing. I also, I'll do things like I'll go somewhere and leave my phone in the car. And my main reason for doing that is to become more aware of how many times I feel my lack of phone because that brings my attention to the fact that my attention is going somewhere that I don't always notice. And it, it's, uh, it's been really powerful for me. Whenever I feel like I'm using my phone too much, I do that. And I'm like, and I keep count. I'm like, Holy crap. I've been in the store for 10 minutes. I felt 15 times that I should grab my phone. That's absurd. I need to stop hanging out with my phone so much. It is not a good friend. I wonder if we can get like a phone accessory that can take our phone and turn it into one of those like Zach Morris phones. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're a child from the 80s, you know what I'm talking Giant about. 80s cell yes. phone brick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and I do think, I, I think that in the next couple of years, we're going to see more tech companies becoming more aware that people are actually rejecting this notion that we are, that we are slaves to our devices. Like it is not an enjoyable thing to know that like, this is not what we are wanting to be doing. And yet we feel powerless to it. Right. Um, so, and also delete everything off your phone that you don't need or use. Your phone can tell you when's the last time you opened a given app, anything you haven't opened in the last month or two weeks or something, just get rid of it. So uh, in about a month, the uh, ADHD Rewired Podcast Network is going to have a baby. Um, we are going to be having a, another podcast on the network uh, hosted by Will Curb. Um, and one of the things that he has talked about that he's that uh, when, when he was back in our, our coaching groups, he did and has maintained it for at least a year now. He does not have his email app on his phone. And so his podcast is going to be, they're going to be short podcasts to talk about like hacks and tools. Um, so if the, the idea of, I mean, if you're already, if you're still listening to this, especially on the podcast, kudos to you because it's been over an hour. Um, but a lot of people like with ADHD, I mean, I've got, I'm Brendan, I'm sure you've gotten messages like this. Like, can you make your podcast shorter? Like, I can't pay attention to the whole thing. And I'm like, I really like long form content and Listen to in pieces. You can hit pause. Right. Um, but I, but I hear, you know, it's, it's, it's not for everyone, but so this is a podcast that's going to be uh, more bite-sized pieces. Um, and yeah, it's something that he does. So remove the apps from your phone that, uh, um, you feel you go into sort of unnecessarily. Mm. I should, I should throw out there, by the way, that, uh, I dropped episode 90 last week. It's awesome. I haven't missed one since launch, so we're near nearing 100. And I want to awesome. get you on before I get to 100. That's awesome. That is awesome. Back on. So I think it's, uh, it's I know we, we probably only scratched the surface of all the questions that were asked, but I want to thank everyone for, for submitting questions, for being here. Um, thank you so much, Brendan. This is, uh, this is as, as always, this is fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we will, we do this. We do this every second Tuesday of the month, same time, same place. Uh, just go to ADHDrewired.com uh, slash events uh, to register. Um, and we'll see you back here next month. This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tibbers. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD Rewired. If you're a coach, therapist, or related professional, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Eric Tibbers. You can also 
subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube. And you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. And if you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader, and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website, ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on to a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes are automatically pushed to your favorite podcast app. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? In no particular order. Check out Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk, 10% Happier, and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced audiobooks I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, magical, I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series. And I don't usually listen to those kinds of books. And I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books, starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability, and if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, Dare to Lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, you would be so kind to make that connection for me. I would be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com and then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre-interview. This is Eric Tibbers reminding you to keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. Self-care is not selfish, and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done, at the end of the day, you are still enough. And no matter how hard it feels, we can do hard things. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.